welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. You have heard me talk about them a lot, and it's because I love them so much. Their products are a regular part of my life. And in fact, I can't even remember the last time I did not consume one of their products in a given day. My hands down favorite is their coffee with lion's mane. And there are two ways I drink it. They make convenient packets that are great for just adding to hot water for instant coffee on the go. And they also make a ground coffee with lion's mane that is great for brewing just like you would any other ground coffee. Another trick I do sometimes is to bring the packets with me and I will actually add them to coffee or even to decaf coffee when I'm traveling just for the extra energy boost. And I find that lion's mane gives me a lot of clarity and focus, but without the jitters. It's important to note, neither of these things or any of their products taste like mushrooms. So if you aren't a huge mushroom taste fan, these are still worth trying. They taste just like coffee, but they get that added punch from Lion's Mane, or they also have one with Cordyceps. And I find this gives me, like I said, clean energy and focus all day. I also love using their coffee packets for the popular Dalgana coffee that is making the rounds on social media right now. If you're not familiar, it's a whipped form of coffee that gets added to milk or it could be cashew milk, pecan milk, etc. And so I make that with their coffee and lion's mane packets and coconut sugar for a really delicious iced coffee treat. You can check out their coffee with lion's mane and all of their many products at foursigmatic.com forward slash wellness mama. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash wellness mama. And if you use the code wellness mama, all one word, you can save 15%. This podcast is brought to you by Wellness, my new personal care company that is based on the recipes I've been making at home in my own kitchen for over a decade. Many clean products simply don't work. And this is exactly why I spent the last decade researching and perfecting recipes for products that not only eliminate toxic chemicals, but that contain ingredients that work better than their conventional alternatives and that nourish your body from the outside in. I'm so excited to finally get to share these products with you. And I wanted to tell you all about our brand new dry shampoo, which is our newest product. It can be used various ways, including you can sprinkle in clean hair, to add volume and also extend the time between washes. You can sprinkle it in uh, hair that hasn't been washed in a day or two to absorb oil or sweat. And you can work it into color treated hair to maintain color by not having to wash as often. It contains oil absorbing kale and clay and volume boosting tapioca, which work together to refresh hair at the roots. Lavender oil and cactus flour help to balance the scalp and to keep the hair's natural pH. And we added hibiscus for healthy hair growth. You can check it out and try it at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. And my tip is to grab a bundle and save with the built-in discount that comes with a bundle. Or if you subscribe and save, you can save on any order. So again, check it out, wellness.com. Hello, welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and now also wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end, where we make non-toxic, safe, and beneficial personal care products, including hair care, toothpaste, and hand sanitizer. 
Speaking of all of those things, in this conversation, I'm here with Colleen Wachab, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Mind Body Green, which is an exhaustive online um, resource you've probably heard about. Of course, I will link to it in the show notes with some of my favorite articles that they have. She graduated from Stanford University with degrees in international relations and Spanish and spent 10 years working at Fortune 500 companies like Gap, Walmart, and Amazon. But she now lives in Brooklyn, New York with her husband and co-founder, Jason, and their two daughters. And they run Mind Body Green, which, like I said, is a massive health and wellness resource that you can find. Uh, we go into a lot of topics on this episode, especially mental health for moms during a pandemic, forming micro communities and ways to keep in touch in physical relationships with people, even during these kind of unusual times, and the 80-20 for personalized wellness and what we can all learn from that is a wide-ranging, really fun conversation that I know you will enjoy as much as I did. So without further ado, here's Colleen. Colleen, welcome. Thank you for being here. Welcome. I am so pleased to be talking to you. I'm excited for this conversation. We met on the phone uh, not very long ago, and I feel like we instantly connected, and I knew I wanted to share you with all the listeners today. Um, I haven't even heard this part of the story myself, but I have read about this a little bit in places where you've written before. Um, I love to start by hearing someone's kind of personal journey, especially into wellness. And I'm guessing we might have a little bit of overlap here in kind of a health crisis turning into an impetus for a lifelong journey. But I would love to hear what brought you into the wellness world. Yes, uh, your instinct is right on. Uh, So Mind Body Green started just over 10 years ago. And I had been working on Mind Body Green and, and nights and weekends and, you know, really just kind of at that point in my career, I had been working at a lot of Fortune 500 companies, Gap, Walmart, Amazon, lots of big ones where I was feeling a little stuck. I was really missing purpose in my life. I knew that what I was doing was not probably my long-term way to seek, you know, fulfillment in my career and just feeling a little bit of stuck. And I was, you know, kind of casually invested in wellness. I was very interested in yoga, running, you know, being a Californian native, you know, that's kind of how you live and how you grow up there. But what really was an inflection point for me was when I was 32 years old, I had a life-threatening pulmonary embolism. Uh, the ER doctor had never seen so many showers of clots in someone's lungs who was still alive. And that was definitely the inflection point for me when I started, you know, transitioning to well-being full-time. They, when any 32-year-old, you know, ends up in the ER, they obviously do a battery of tests and I was no exception. And I have no genetic predispositions towards clotting. And, you know, really the only thing that the doctors could surmise was that it was because of uh, the birth control pill. And, you know, this was 10 years ago. And yes, people knew about the birth control risks, but I think now there's much more of a dialogue um, around these risks and people are a lot more conscious of it. But it was still the earlier days of the conversations. And it was a story that I shared in the early days of. Mind Body Green with the Mind Body Green community. And I was blown away by the amount of women who came forward being like, my friend, my sister, myself had had this similar type of experience. So it's definitely something that I'm glad people are talking about now more in the forefront. But for me, that was the start of what has been a deeply fulfilling personal journey in terms of um, trying to live a complete and fulfilling life. And, you know, 
in the midst of that health crisis, it was definitely, you know, let's try to address this underlying condition and get back to a place of, you know, feeling well, feeling able to breathe again and feeling whole. I'm curious, what were some of the early things that you researched and changed? Because I know for me, I had what ended up being Hashimoto's. I didn't know that at the time. It took years to figure it out. Um, and it sounds crazy in hindsight to say, but I, it was the first time I really started connecting that what we eat impacts our body and what we're exposed to impacts our body beyond just calories, which now it seems so common sense. But back then I had only ever thought of it in terms of calories. And I kind of entered this whole new world of understanding just how incredible, but multifaceted everything we interact with is and experimenting. um, I've become more and more a proponent of the personalization and taking control of your own health and experimenting with what works for you, especially over the last few years. But I'm curious what some of those early steps were for you. Yeah. And I think your your mindset that you touched on is just so critical, right? Of you know really taking control of your of your own health and being the CEO of your own health and well being. Ultimately, there are so many, you know, people and companies and resources, but ultimately, you know, we have to conduct that orchestra in terms of ensuring that we are looking out for ourselves. And first, the biggest lesson was just in terms of listening to your own intuition. I think so many women might have or still do can fall into that track of, you know, dismissing symptoms. Oh, they're not that important. I'm fine. I'm feeling fine. And definitely my mindset at the beginning of my PE, I was dismissive of things that were, you know, real symptoms. I didn't want to go to a hospital. I didn't want to see a doctor. I was feeling fine. Oh, I'm fine. And, you know, thanks to my husband, he really insisted I see a doctor. But I think a lot of people, you know, have that tendency to not take the symptoms as seriously and and just kind of live with them. And for me, it was a big lesson in terms of both listening to my intuition um, across all areas of my life, also a big lesson in slowing down. Um, This idea of, you know, being a little bit more mindful about how I choose to spend all of my energy. You know, at that point in life, I was very busy professionally. And I think, you know, socially, I was also really busy, always just putting a lot of stress and strain in my body. And, you know, now you you brought up the topic of personalization, like my body doesn't need a lot of fast cardio to feel great. And, you know, it took me a lot of time to, you know, really figure out what my body needs to thrive when it comes to physical exertion. And I realized that I gravitate a lot more and feel a lot more rejuvenated after a lot of slower movements. So think things like yoga, Pilates, you know, my body doesn't need intense cardio and lots of running. In fact, it probably puts a little bit more strain on it. Um, And then this, you know, crisis in health too, you know, starts catapulting a lot of conversations about eating optimally for your your body and this is just something that you know pains me that we don't get this nutrition either in school or you know in other areas of life and you know if you go to certain doctors in the conventional field you might not be exposed to this type of um, nutrition information too but really learning how to eat in a way you know that was better optimized towards my body i i think it's really a journey for so many people especially as they start becoming more interested in health and wellness. And, you know, what I fully believe in is that there's no one size fits all approach to health and well-being. And no matter who the expert is, you, you do have to experiment and figure out, you know, what works for you. And especially as women, as we go through, 
you know, different parts and journeys of our lives, like what we need changes so much from, you know, when I was single or child free in my early thirties to then when I was pregnant with my first and second child, like my nutrition needs and what I need to sustain myself and feel great has just, you know, evolved so much through each life journey. And I think it's just, you know, my overall kind of wisdom from this journey is really just about listening, you know, to your intuition, whether it's about, you know, big life decisions or, you know, what you're eating to feel your best, how you're choosing to, to move. You can, there's so many resources right now out there, but at times it can almost be overwhelming the array of choices. And at the end of the day, you really have to be connected into what makes you feel the best. And after you do something, do you feel nourished? Do you feel rejuvenated? Or are you feeling depleted? And to start making those life changes, baby step by baby step to start moving more towards what makes you feel good. I completely agree. I had to learn that I think on my journey as well, because when you start researching in this world, and I want to talk about some of the the many topics within the health world in a minute, but when you start researching it, there's so many options and so many things you want to try. And I feel like it it actually became a process of simplifying to the things that actually worked and kind of 80-20ing those things for my own body that worked. And I think exercise that you brought up is a perfect example because um, I also do well with slow movement, like walking and, and yoga and swimming, but I've also found I do great with like lifting heavy weights and sprinting, just not like extended kind of moderate cardio, like running. And for years I did the whole like distance running thing. Cause that was supposed to be what was quote unquote healthy. And there's such that individual aspect. Or I think back 10 years ago, I researched about how saturated fat had kind of gotten a bad rap through different studies and how they had been interpreted. And so I wrote back then about how important saturated fat was, which I still fully believe, but at the time didn't know my genes and didn't know that I have certain genes that make saturated fat not ideal for me. So I was eating all this coconut oil and it turns out my genes needed a lot less fat and more monounsaturated. And so now I almost completely avoid saturated fat. Um, But there's that personalization aspect, even though many people thrive on more saturated fat than the recommended normal allowance is. And so I think you're right. That's where the wisdom is, that intuition and being willing to experiment and track in our own lives and our own bodies what's working and then improve from there. I know that you also do a lot of research in the health and wellness world. We have kind of similar paths with our websites. I'm curious what trends you're seeing in health and wellness right now that you think are fascinating. It's so funny that we're having or interesting that we're having this conversation in the middle of COVID because if you had asked me these questions just a few months earlier, I'm, I'm sure I would have had a really different answer. And if I think at a really big macro level of, you know, what are some of the biggest changes that we've seen? since um, the inception of Mind Body Green, we know that when MBG started over 10 years ago, people were really coming to us from nutri- for nutrition and for yoga. Those were the gateway drugs that we saw people come and really want to continue to dive deeper into. And that stayed the same for five, six, seven, eight years. And starting last year, we saw a really big shift into mental health. And that, obviously, our audience is still deeply deeply passionate about all things nutrition, but there's just so much more fascination, page views, search interest around the field of mental illness. And this was in, you know, 2019 before the pandemic. Um, And, you know, we already know that, you know, 20% of Americans at that time were suffering from um, a mental health illness. So in what's happening in this COVID world, we're seeing those spikes too, and this ripple affecting other health markers as well. You know, we do a, a trends piece every year. And what's interesting is 
earlier in the year, we talked about how alcohol sales were were down and wine sales were down for the first time in, in 25 years. And now we know that, you know, consumer behavior is evolving and changing um, with COVID and that alcohol sales are booming. But I think this trend of looking for healthier options for alcohol and, and wanting to stay and, you know, feel, get the best type of alcohol for your body, if you're going to choose to consume alcohol is going to stay. Um, I think you may be a fan as well of dry farm wines, which has lower uh, sugar content, you know, and those are types, the types of healthier options that, um, you know, my husband and I look to when we try to consume wine. And I think those healthier options are only going to, to grow in popularity as, as people decide to consume more and more alcohol. Something else we're really fascinated on is, you know, the surge in hand sanitization use. Um, you know, my husband and I are, are bringing it to uh, the park wherever, we, you know, if, if we're outside the house and we don't know that we're going to be able to clean our hands with a, a sink. And obviously with the two little ones who put their hands into everything, um, we have to be very mindful of that. But we're also interested in the impact of the skin microbiome and, you know, kind of how that will long-term change how we think about our body care and our personal care. Another trend that we're interested in is just this shift that we're seeing in terms of uh, consumer packaged goods. I, over the past five years, there's been this surge in better for you, but we see so much of our audience really demanding more in terms of better, best ingredients. And we're excited to see a bigger shift into best for you and people really standing beside behind health in a really bigger way. I think there's been a little bit of health washing over the past five years, but we're seeing our audience really dive into ingredients and details and want to go deeper in understanding the choices behind all of the ingredients in their products in a way they haven't before. I'm really interested to see too how um, nutrition choices will evolve um, long-term. January was the first time in which um, we saw a little bit more subdued spikes as it relates to search traffic among um, certain popular types of diets like paleo and keto. But we know that the brands that are built on a lot of these diets are really thriving. So I'm not sure if it's a bigger shift into just people becoming more familiar with these brands and you know less looking for kind of like generic searches to help find those um, those choices. So Lots of exciting uh, developments within the world of, of health and well-being. And I think, you know, one of the underrepresented conversations uh, that will be happening amidst the pandemic is I, I think there will be so much more of a macro shift of people really uh, focused on their own health and well-being because it's it's truly imperative now, even more so than it's been. And I think a lot of people maybe have come into health well and well-being from a way in which you and I did of a personal health crisis. But now I think there's just going to be even more widespread of a focus on health and well-being being such a key to, to people's families. Oh, you brought up so many great topics that I want to delve a little deeper on. I think you're right. I think we're seeing a really unique and unusual time when it comes to mental health, especially for moms. And I think of so many of my friends, like, you know, they thought they were getting a two-week spring break instead of a one-week spring break and ended up with a six-month spring break that turned into summer. And I think that's been a lot to navigate for a lot of families, both working moms and moms who homeschool. I think we're all navigating new waters right now. Um, so I'd love to hear in what you're seeing 
in trends and also in your in your research and your writing um, when it comes to mental health, especially for moms? What are some things we can be cognizant of or focused on right now? Because certainly, it, like I said, it's an unprecedented time for mental health. So mental health in moms, I think, is one of the most underrepresented conversations that is happening in the midst of the pandemic. I think moms, we're already under a lot of stress. And I think that stress has only been magnified. And so many of our tools of, of coping aren't available to us. You know, maybe that was seeing a therapist in real life. Maybe that was gathering together with girlfriends. Maybe that was, you know, going to a nail salon and getting a monthly manicure or pedicure. Maybe that was just having, you know, a walk around the block with your spouse, um, without your kids. And so many of those tools are not available. And I, I think it's one of these conversations that women need to be talking about more uh, so that there is more visibility and um, more awareness of it because it is something that uh, is of deep concern. And as it relates you know, to wellness, I think the conversation needs to shift to you know, how does this not just become something that I do to check off my box, but my box of my to-do list, um, but how does this become something that I do and that nourishes me and helps me? And really shift that conversation from a to-do list to to something that really helps and rejuvenates. I think related to it, there's going to be a, a real switch flip in terms of how we think about self-care. Um, and I, I don't think Instagram did the world of wellness and well-being a service with, you know, showing self-care as something that we do as a rose petal bath that takes 45 minutes and it's really elaborate. And I mean, I I didn't have time for that pre-pandemic, but I think we really have to set a higher standard in terms of what self-care can really deliver on us from an ROI standpoint and, you know, be really mindful about those investments because I know that I have, you know, a lot less time when it comes to, um, you know, self-care. So sometimes these days that can mean, you know, connecting on a Zoom with old friends, you know, having a, a FaceTime chat with a girlfriend. Um, and that time becomes, you know, really, really sacred um, and rejuvenating. But I'm, I'm definitely not going to say that I think it replaces the value that I find as someone who gets uh, a tremendous amount of connection from in real life interactions too. So I don't have uh, all of the answers, but I think it's something that we as women need to be talking about and supporting each other through, especially mothers. I agree. I'm curious if we're going to see maybe, and I would encourage this, like the rise of almost like micro communities or tribes. That's what we've started doing in our local area. Um, Even as kind of big activities are limited right now in most places, like small group stuff, especially outdoor stuff is okay. And I think that's actually perfect. Like if we can form groups where we're outside, maybe exercising, I think this is a kind of a unique time to return to that because the last couple of decades have been a gradual move toward more and more virtual types of relationships. And I think this last six months has kind of made everybody realize, like you said, the importance of that in-person real touch points with real people. And until everything kind of calms down, I think maybe micro communities are part of the answer of forming small little tribes in our local areas with people with common interest that we can stay connected with. And I've even heard of uh, communities forming micro schools as a lot of schools are not going back, hiring teachers for small groups of students, um, hiring, having like little community gardens. And so my, my thought is, I hope we can focus on the silver linings here. Certainly there's been a lot of challenges that go along with this, but if we can focus on the positives and maintain those even 
as hopefully the pandemic ends, but maintain the eating at home more and the maintaining friendships with people in our local neighborhoods and communities and spending more time with our families. I think we can learn so much from this time. I think it's like anything in life, so much what we make of it. Um, but I just really like wanted to kind of offer encouragement for micro communities because until we're able to travel and see those friends all over the world again, I think it's important, like you said, to have those real life touch points with real people. I love that perspective in terms of, you know, we have to find the the silver linings to come out of this stronger and and more united together. Great perspective. I also love that you brought up hand sanitizer use. I think this is a good springboard into an important topic because I've had this concern as well. And um, I actually make a natural hand sanitizer through our company, Wellness, because I wanted to provide an option that at least did not dry people's skin out and that had natural elements in it. But I think we're going to see some interesting rebound effects from this widespread use of hand sanitizer, knowing that the skin has a microbiome, just like our gut has a microbiome. And so I'm curious if you have any tips for navigating that and trying to maintain that balance of skin microbiome, but also, of course, avoiding getting sick and not wanting to deplete, especially children's skin. So have you figured out any tips for navigating that? With all of these choices, they become, you know, which personal value is, is more important at, at one time. And I think at the beginning of the pandemic, when we didn't have enough information, when we didn't have enough of the data, and I look at this even in my own household, we were overcleaning our groceries, we were, you know, overusing uh, hand sanitizer when we were walking through the door, when we were, you know, coming into our building's lobby, when we were going into our office, because we didn't have any of the data and there was a lot of fear. And now five months in, you know, we do know that if you have the ability to, you know, use a, a 20 second hand wash soap, that that is, you know, a, a better option long-term for your microbiome. That said, when, you know, we're leaving the playground and we're 30 minutes, uh, you know, from our house, we don't have that option. And so that's when we're going to choose to use hand sanitizer. So I think it's all just about, you know, kind of using the right method for, for where you are, um, because th there's not one broad stroke approach that works for every situation in your life. And, you know, just being really mindful, um, you know, if, if we're hopping on an airplane, which we have not done yet and, and don't really have any plans to do in the immediate future, but that would be a time to, you know, bring hand sanitizer on. And it's just about using the right method for, for where your family's at. And I know like for us, we're also very cognizant right now of like doing the flip side as well. So any way that I can support the kids' microbiome and our microbiome naturally, um, I'm being really conscious to do that both internal and external microbiomes, um, just realizing by the nature of what's going on right now, we are going to encounter a lot more things that can potentially damage that. And so um, if it's possible, one thing I encourage is sending kids outside to play in the dirt where there's good bacteria or in a garden where there's beneficial bacteria um, and not sanitizing them after, just letting them wash normally after that, um, since outdoors is typically considered a safe exposure place anyway. Um, I'm also definitely upping all of our probiotics, mainly because gut health is so linked to immune health in general, but also because, like I said, that we are encountering more of these antibacterial substances. And so I want to make sure we're on the other side, supporting the immune system. Um, our family uses one that I can open the probiotics and dump them into smoothies or even bake with them. So I've just been kind of upping our whole family's probiotics. And um, then there's like really creative ways. I don't, you probably have written some of these on Mind Body Green as well, but I've done probiotic face masks with yogurt. Um, there's even probiotic skin sprays. There's all kinds of cool ways to do that. I think another topic that is important right now and that seems like people are struggling with is sleep. 
which you would think if we're all at home, we're all getting great sleep, but that does not seem to be the case, probably partially because of anxiety being up for a lot of people. Also, people are, we know from the stats, watching more TV at night. Um, there's blue light there, but um, I'm curious if you have any tips, both personal or from research for maintaining good sleep, especially for families right now. I think the importance of good sleep is one of the most underrepresented conversations in well-being period. And then you add on the pandemic and there's just been such a crisis of, of sleep. And prior to the pandemic, like I've just been so passionate about sleep. It's something I've struggled with, um, you know, for 20 years. I, I remember being a you know, senior in college and even starting that struggle with sleep. And women in particular, as we go through hormonal fluctuations, um, whether it be pregnancy, uh, whether it be perimenopause, or we are just so susceptible to having more ripple effects within our sleep. So I am just hugely passionate um, about sleep. And I think it's really important now more than ever to prioritize our sleep etiquette. And to me, that means being very diligent about my caffeine consumption, being very aware of, you know, even if I'm choosing to have a hot chocolate, not having it too late in the day because my body metabolisms caffeine in a way in which I will not be able to sleep. Uh, we've invested in an avocado mattress, which has wonderful GOP certification and you know they have a certified wool. They also have a vegan um, mattress option without wool um, in case that's valuable information. But we found not only just having one that aligns with our values, but is really comfortable is such a huge important part of our sleep routine. Um, in some ways, I've actually had to increase my exercise activity during this time because when nerves are high, I know that I need to exert myself a little bit more than I would during during a normal time period. And so that's been another kind of lever that I have to pull in case I know I'm a little bit anxious or I'm going to have like a, a mind uh, that's a little bit overactive. I know that I'm going to need to up my cardio that day so that I'll have a better time getting to sleep. But I just think it's it's such a a universal problem that affects so many people and disproportionately affects women as well as um, first-time mothers. So it's something I've been passionate about finding a solution to. And one of the tools I also use is one of our new Mind Body Green supplements that's grounded in magnesium that really magnesium bisglycinate that helps with relaxation. There's some jujube in there that helps calm the overactive mind and pharma GABA that just helps with sleep quality because I have struggled to both fall asleep and stay asleep. And, you know, at a macro level across mind, body, green, we're seeing surges in all types of sleep curiosity, everything from sleep aids to mattresses. I think this is really a point in time when people are struggling and, and needing to yes, get the tools, but also look at their overall kind of day and, and plan and make sure that their life is being set up in a way in which, they can fall asleep because it is more than just, uh, you do need more than just a supplement. You have to plan your whole life in a way to ensure you are getting sleep from being mindful of ca caffeine consumption and having the right tools at your fingertips. Yeah, I completely agree on all those points. I've found the same thing and I've realized, especially right now, working from home, being at home all the time, having the kids at home and now homeschooling full-time once school starts, I've had to kind of 80, 20 I mentioned in the beginning a little bit, but 80, 20, almost all aspects of my life and especially for sleep, because you're right, if sleep is affected, everything is affected. And so for me, um, similar to you, I've noticed the things that seem to be that 20% that make 80% of the results for me are getting more exercise, definitely sleep better if I move every day. So I love 
um, walks. If I'm not going to do an intense exercise, I'll walk and also do um, hunter fitness classes, which are like joint mobility focused. And I don't know what in those classes does it, but I notice a drastic improvement in sleep and in heart rate variability from that kind of movement. I love that you said magnesium. That was a huge key for me as well. And I'll make sure to link to the one that you mentioned. Also things like adaptogens. I've added a lot of adaptogens into my normal routine. Um, A cool trick that I have that works really, really well, I'm curious if you've ever tried it, is about 30 minutes before bed, laying against on the ground with your feet, with your basically your butt up against the wall, your feet straight up against the wall, um, and basically getting those arteries in your leg completely vertical, and then doing four, seven, eight breathing. So breathing in for four, holding for seven, and then breathing out for eight. And that combination seems to reduce cortisol, which helps improve melatonin and it naturally kind of encourages the sleep cycle. That one, when I remember to do it has been a really big difference for me. And then um, my husband and I usually drink reishi, um, some form of reishi tea or sleep herbs at night to help, but just I completely echo what you said, like sleep is the most important thing. And you've definitely given me some new tips to try. Um, I love the idea of some reishi tea. We, I tend to go for like a calming one at night. I'm definitely going to give that a try. And while I've not tried the particular breathwork exercise that you mentioned, I think that breathwork is going to be something that's just going to have such a, a huge surge in, in, in interest, um, whether it's for helping to wind down or just people really trying to, to breathe properly um, for both relaxation or just optimization in life. Um, I tend to do some ones where you have a much longer exhale than you do inhale, because typically I'll use breath work as a way to reduce stress or anxiety, but I love the idea of trying it before bed. That's a great idea. Another thing we have in common, and I would love to get your tips on, I'm guessing a lot of people might have in common with us right now, is working with your spouse, both in a very physical sense and also getting on the same page when it comes to health and well-being. I know a lot of people personally who now all of a sudden are both working from home, both spouses are working from home, and they're having to learn to navigate that kind of new and interesting dynamic. And you and I both work with our husbands already, so I'd love to hear any tips you have for navigating that and how you guys are making it work, especially right now? Yeah. So we've both been early adopters on that front in uh, that we've been working together uh, for years. And on the professional front, it's really one of the only you know dances we know. So we have just been so you know hugely passionate about these issues that the way in which we've these issues being well, wellness and well-being, that we tend to use the phrase of work-life integration because we are always, our minds always travel to things involving work and problems or opportunities or people and things we find interesting or podcasts that we listen to while on a walk. Um, So it's really hard for us to find clear boundaries between work and life. It's, It's become a very porous relationship, but in a good way, because, you know, the things that we're exploring in our personal lives are, are deeply connected to the things that we're exploring in our professional lives. So we've really embraced this language of work-life integration, partly because we just failed at work-life balance. And uh, once you add in, you know, kids into the equation too, the hours at which, you know, we work, again, tend to be a little bit porous um, and all-consuming. So we found work-life integration sets us up for, for more success from a mindset standpoint, where we both are aware 
um, that our minds are kind of always traveling. Now that said, you know, the hardest thing for us to do is, is to turn off those times when you do want to turn off. And sometimes one partner will want to turn off more than the other. And I think it's, it's made a little bit trickier during the pandemic because you don't have those usual escapes that we might've had, which was, you know, the ease of getting a babysitter, which, you know, we haven't done since March really, or, you know, going out to dinner, those things that would provide, you know, kind of a, a quick escape and, and also a way to prioritize your own relationship. Uh, I do think that when partners decide to join forces on the professional front, especially when there's also children involved, you really have to make a conscious effort to focus on your marital relationship or your partner relationship because uh, the first two, whether it's jobs or kids, they just tend to yell louder, thus get more attention. And so we have to kind of constantly nudge ourselves to make sure that we're also having time for ourselves just as just as people and as not as parents or as co-CEOs, but really just again as, as partners on this um, life journey together. And it definitely always needs a little bit of a nudge. <laughs> I agree about that. And I hear from a lot of women who are trying to get a spouse on board with health changes. I think there's a lot of people whose story echoes ours that they encountered a health crisis and then had to make changes for their own health, saw the benefits, and of course wanted the most important people in their lives and their spouses to be on board as well and their children. And then they encountered some friction from a spouse going, wait, why do I have to change my whole life now? I'm curious how that went for you. Did you guys kind of embark on that journey together or was there ever any tension that you guys had to work out? So we, it was a really synergistic journey for us. Um, my husband, Jason, who's the founder of Mind Body Green and also my co-CEO, he had his own issues, which were very different, but had a similar kind of journey path as mine in that back in the early days of Mind Body Green, his journey started with an excruciating back pain. So right before we were getting married, uh, he couldn't walk a, a city block without keeling over in pain. And he's six foot seven and had been traveling hundreds of thousands of miles a year, all coach, which is an excruciating combination. And he developed two extruded discs in his back and his L4, L5, and, and couldn't really walk without keeling over in pain. He saw a lot of doctors who, who recommended surgery. And while he was totally open to it, he wasn't running towards it. And yoga for him ended up being that gateway drug. And what I was talking about earlier, kind of like those things that can provide that early validation to help people go on uh, that journey with you. And so that was, you know, for him kind of the inflection point of once he realized the effect of yoga, then he started thinking more about, you know, the foods he was eating, the thoughts and all of the things, you know, that are part of the larger conversation around wellness and well-being, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, environmental well-being, and, you know, it all being connected. But I think what can help a couple if you know they're perhaps on different pages is I, I think people really like that early validation points um, in terms of doing an activity, feeling better after it and inspiring people to go deeper on that journey. So whether that's going on a hike outside, you mentioned it, now is an important time to make sure your, you know, your kids are out playing in dirt. If you live by a beach, just you know, spending some moments grounding in the beautiful sand and you know, getting those little moments of kind of validation of, wait, spending more time, whether it's outside, eating a good meal and feeling better after it and not having, you know, that kind of meal hangover effect where you've had a wonderful meal that, 
then actually leaves you feeling, you know, a little bit gross and bloated and it takes two to three days to leave your system. But when you have a few of those experiences that you leave feeling better, then it's a lot easier to start tackling some of like the bigger, harder challenges um, around health and well-being that have, you know, a, a lot less easy fix. So, you know, we always say because of that, that nutrition, you know, tends to be the entry point because you feel so good after you start your day with like a really nourishing smoothie or you have a great, you know, clean dinner that makes you just feel great and start the day better. And then you can start tackling some of the, the meteor issues. So I think it's always important just to, you know, meet people where they're at. If they're just getting started on a wellness journey, maybe it's not the best time to start introducing intermittent fasting. Maybe it's just, you know, starting with some, some great grilled vegetables and, you know, a great smoothie and, and, and not, uh, easing into things that maybe they're not ready for until they're drinking the metaphorical kombucha, so to speak. (laughs) Exactly. And one thing I always remind people as well is while we as parents, of course, have an obligation to provide a nutritious foundation for our kids and to make sure that we're supporting them in living a healthy life. Um, when it comes to your spouse, you are dealing with another autonomous adult and your spouse is not your child. And so when I people write me and say things like, you know, how do you make your spouse do X, Y, Z? I'm like, oh, I, I don't, he's not my child. I, you know, at home I view it like I do all the cooking. So I view nutrition as kind of my realm. And my thought is when at home I cook clean food and nutritious food to make sure we get enough protein and healthy fats. And when he's not at home, he actually does make healthy choices, I think, the majority of the time, but it's not my job to control or police or try to change those choices. Um, The best I think any of us can do, and this doesn't just apply to our spouses, but the best any of us can do is to be an example. And I think you probably had this experience as well as when you focus on your own health and then you start thriving, people notice and then they ask. And then you have a wonderful opportunity to explain and tell about your journey and to bring them into it. Um, But it's important even with your spouse to kind of wait until there's that willingness versus kind of trying to force them because that never tends to end very well. Yeah. And I, I think I love that example of being autonomous adults because even though Jason and I are both so embedded in this world, our approaches are are really different. Um, you know, I remember a, a confrontation a couple of years ago when we were talking about 23andMe testing and, you know, he is the type of person who wants to have all the data. And and my approach is, is very different. And I was, you know, kind of less willing to, to go down that journey with him. And I think, you know, you have to really respect people to go down their path when they're willing and, and in their own way as well. I also love that you brought up intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating. There's a couple of different names for it. And I would love to hear how you incorporate this into your life, because I will say as a disclaimer first, I'm not a doctor. I'm not recommending this for anyone, but I personally feel best when I do. um, I start the year with a pretty long water fast and I do some form of water fasting for a few days, once a month, and then eat in a varied amount of shorter time windows most days. Um, But I'm curious how you incorporate intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating into your life. So I am at such an interesting uh, life stage to talk about kind of nutrition and eating because I have been birthing babies or breastfeeding babies for the past three and a half years. So I'm at an odd point in my life when it comes to that. But one of the things we are really mindful about, um, you know, call us senior citizens, uh, we have a really early dinner. And that for me is just a great way to embody some of those principles, which do seem to be very science-based, but also acknowledge, you know, the state I'm at as a a woman who's still breastfeeding, where I am 
doing uh, my nutrition is, is very interesting at this life stage. So we will have a very early dinner, you know, likely around five, six o'clock. It's the first thing we do when we uh, get home from work. And then we will essentially fast until, you know, the morning. And that's the way in which I, as a woman, have been able to incorporate it into my life in a way that feels really sustainable and doable and, you know, feels so much better than, you know, having an Argentine inspired 10 PM dinner with, you know, lots of snacking afterwards. I've, I've just found that I have a little bit more, um, you know, pep in my step when I wake up in the mornings. That's a great, great point. And one that I think gets often overlooked, even in the uh, intermittent fasting communities is when you look at the actual data and how food impacts circadian biology, that is really smart to shorten the eating window by not eating late at night. I think a lot of people often skip breakfast and there's benefits to that as well. But we know that when it comes to circadian biology, there are certain signaling mechanisms that are really important. And one is light. And I talk a lot about getting morning sunlight for that reason. The other is food, because that would be typically one of the things that regulates awake periods versus asleep periods. So a lot of people tend to intermittent fast all day and then eat a huge meal at night or eat into the night. And the problem is we know pretty solid, we have pretty solid data that eating too close to bedtime can impact your sleep because you're still digesting when you should be sleeping. And so if you look at the data, it actually seems like it would make sense for the biggest meal to be around lunchtime. And then, you know, like a smaller earlier dinner, like what you talked about, and then giving the body rest for a while before bedtime is a really great way to give the liver a break and to, at least in my own life, I've seen improve deep sleep. So I, I track my sleep really carefully and deep sleep seems to be the metric that improves the most uh, if I don't eat late at night. So that's an, a great tip. And like you said, even for breastfeeding moms, you still want to make sure, of course, you're getting enough nutrients that you're not eating in too short of a window, but you can move that around and you don't have to eat close to bedtime. And do you find that improves your sleep as well? Absolutely. For sure. And I think that's, to me, that's one of my keys of if I was going to talk about my sort of 80-20 overall for wellness, that's one of the big ones is time-restricted eating. And I might eat in a long window. I might still eat for like eight or 10 hours in a day, but just not eating late at night is a big key for me. This podcast is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. You have heard me talk about them a lot, and it's because I love them so much. Their products are a regular part of my life. And in fact, I can't even remember the last time I did not consume one of their products in a given day. My hands down favorite is their coffee with lion's mane. And there are two ways I drink it. They make convenient packets that are great for just adding to hot water for instant coffee on the go. And they also make a ground coffee with lion's mane that is great for brewing just like you would any other ground coffee. Another trick I do sometimes is to bring the packets with me and I will actually add them to coffee or even to decaf coffee when I'm traveling just for the extra energy boost. And I find that lion's mane gives me a lot of clarity and focus, but without the jitters. It's important to note, neither of these things or any of their products taste like mushrooms. So if you aren't a huge mushroom taste fan, these are still worth trying. They taste just like coffee, but they get that added punch from lion's mane, or they also have one with cordyceps. And I find this gives me, like I said, clean energy and focus all day. I also love using the, their coffee packets for the popular Dalgana coffee that is making the rounds on social media right now. If you're not familiar, it's a whipped form of coffee that gets added to milk or it could be cashew milk, pecan milk, etc. And so I make that with their coffee and lion's mane packets and coconut sugar for a really delicious iced coffee treat. 
You can check out their Coffee with Lion's Mane and all of their many products at foursigmatic.com forward slash wellness mama. That's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com forward slash wellness mama. And if you use the code wellness mama, all one word, you can save 15%. This podcast is brought to you by Wellness, my new personal care company that is based on the recipes I've been making at home in my own kitchen for over a decade. Many clean products simply don't work. And this is exactly why I spent the last decade researching and perfecting recipes for products that not only eliminate toxic chemicals, but that contain ingredients that work better than their conventional alternatives and that nourish your body from the outside in. I'm so excited to finally get to share these products with you. And I wanted to tell you all about our brand new dry shampoo, which is our newest product. It can be used various ways, including you can sprinkle and clean hair, to add volume and also extend the time between washes. You can sprinkle it in uh, hair that hasn't been washed in a day or two to absorb oil or sweat. And you can work it into color treated hair to maintain color by not having to wash as often. It contains oil absorbing kale and clay and volume boosting tapioca, which work together to refresh hair at the roots. Lavender oil and cactus flower help to balance the scalp and to keep the hair's natural pH. And we added hibiscus for healthy hair growth. You can check it out and try it at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. And my tip is to grab a bundle and save with the built-in discount that comes with a bundle. Or if you subscribe and save, you can save on any order. So again, check it out, wellness.com. I've also found, I mentioned the early morning light. So as long as I get sunshine, it doesn't have to be even on my skin, but just get outside with my eyes early in the morning, as soon as possible after waking up. That makes a big difference in my sleep and my energy levels. Um, Protein was one of my 80-20s. I wasn't getting enough protein for a long time. And when I started tracking that and made sure to get enough protein, that really changed not just my nutrition, but my energy levels as well. Um, And then some kind of movement or sauna that leads to sweating every single day. Those are kind of my non-negotiables. I'm curious for you, what are your non-negotiables that you do every day or almost every day when it comes to wellness? I love your fundamentals. And, you know, I was, I was nodding as you were going through them. And, you know, for me, like my fundamentals, one of the books that actually resonates with me the most around these is, is Blue Zones, who looked at some of the longest living communities in the world. Um, and I think there's about five of them. And they look at all the commonalities that they share. And I think it's just so refreshing because in this world in which we're just bombarded with you know so much information and you know if you're at the point in life where you have the ability and um, curiosity to explore all of these aw- awesome optimizations, which, you know, I love nerding out and it seems like you do too. It's amazing. But if you're also just like, I'm just starting off on this journey and I don't know where to start. Um, there's things like blue zones that I think offer, you know, such a great prescription of, of things that you can do to maintain, um, health and well-being. And you brought up movement. What was great about, you know, the work in the blue zones community is they found that people moved naturally. It wasn't like they were, you know, going to crazy boutique fitness classes. They weren't, you know, really intentionally moving. They were just doing movement that they enjoyed. You mentioned walking a lot. That's something that, you know, Blue Zones people did so much. And I think that's a really easy way to to get that movement in where it's a joy and not something that you're checking off of the list. Um, Food is obviously hugely important to how I feel in terms of, you know, well-being and a huge pillar of Blue Zones. 
you've been mentioning the 80% and, you know, they kind of have that rule too, where it's like eating to feel good, but also recognizing the community aspect of, of food as a shared cultural experience, a shared family experience, because it is so important, not just the food you eat, but how you consume it. Are you mindfully, you know, sitting down with your family over joy and, you know, talking about your day and all of that matters. You know, they enjoy wine, uh, which I think is a key point, but they enjoy it um, not by themselves. So having it be a ritual and that shared experience. Uh, And then this idea of community, Um, is so important to the Blue Zones philosophy. And I think now more than ever, we're really understanding this interconnectedness that does bring us all together in our our human need for connection. And while technology has done some amazing things, you know, a a FaceTime with my daughters and their their grandparents is not going to be a replacement for real-time connection and community. And then purpose, of course, is a huge part of the Blue Zones philosophy. And, you know, that obviously I think is a a longer thing to cultivate in life. I don't think you can just say, I want to have purpose and then, you know, just start living a life of purpose. I think for many people, it's a winding securitist journey where, you know, it's a little bit of a game of Marco Polo. Sometimes you get closer to it. Sometimes you get farther apart from it, but whether it's, you know, your career, your family, your children, um, volunteering, I think there's so many ways to bring purpose into your life, even if, you know, you're perhaps in a career that isn't giving you all that you want from it from a purpose standpoint. So Blue Zones um, really embody kind of my 80-20 in terms of the fundamentals and some of them, not all of them, um, you know, are, are luckily things that we can incorporate into our lives without a lot of economic expense or <laughs> craziness. <laughs> love it. And as we get near the end of our time, another question I love to ask somewhat selfishly, because I'm always looking for new ideas, is if there's a book or a number of books that have really impacted your life and if so, what they are and why. Gosh, there's so many within the health and well-being world. And I've already talked about, you know, Dan Buettner and the Blue Zones book, which I, I really like. But one that I've been going back to, which I think is always, you know, a, a good test of its resonance is The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. And such a big focus of stoicism is on being very intentional with where you put your energy. And I think that that is such an important tenant especially now um, and the world in which we live in, which has a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty, but being really mindful about where you put your attention and being thoughtful about that and diligent in your daily life. Another one that I love is uh, The New Food Rules by Dr. Frank Lippman. Um, He wrote it about three years ago, but it's one of those coffee table books and just good reminders of things that you can incorporate into your daily life. And Frank Lippman is just one of I think one of the best functional medicine doctors out there and who really embodies a forward approach to health and well-being in that it's so much more than you know just looking at uh, the body or one issue by itself and that all of the things we're doing from a health and well-being standpoint are so intimately connected. Uh, you know, we were talking about the microbiome before, and you know, that can have such a big impact on mental health as well. So you know, he's really started, been one of the pioneers in this movement of looking at the body and everything in it as interconnected and interdependent. Great suggestions. I love that you brought up Brian Holiday and the Daily Stoic. That's been a big part of my own journey in the last couple of years is um, reading 
a lot of different stoic works. I love all of Ryan Holiday's books. And I think you're right. That's that where you put your energy is such an important thing. And the small shifts that I've made as a result of some of those books have been really drastic. The ripples that they've caused in my life, I think, especially for moms, they can be so, so applicable. Um, I actually found a fun free app that I use now. It's, um, it's called We Croak which sounds a little morbid, but it reminds you a few times a day that you're going to die, which is one of the tenets of stoicism, memento mori, remember that you will die. And it sounds counterintuitive, but there's actually science that shows, they've done research on this, that thinking about that kind of puts things in perspective and actually reduces anxiety over time. So my husband laughs at me because my phone reminds me and gives me a quote about death a few times a day, but I actually find it like weirdly calming and reducing of anxiety but a fellow big fan of stoicism. So I love that you brought that one up. Well, I love that perspective. I might have to give them another download today because uh, I think it is a great perspective in terms of uh, helping to reduce the anxiety that we're all uh, facing a little bit more of these days. Exactly. And lastly, is there any parting advice that you want to leave with the audience today? Could be wellness related or not. I think as it relates to people uh, who are likely on a health and well-being journey, I think it's all about getting back to a lot of the fundamentals that we talked about together in our time today. You know, thinking a lot about sleep, thinking about connection, thinking about those micro communities, getting in a little bit of movement, um, touching the earth and grounding. And I think if we focus a little bit, you know, more on the fundamentals, I think we can truly get some of the tools and keys to live a complete and fulfilling life. Perfect. Well, I will make sure that uh, I link to Mind Body Green and to you where people can find you, but anywhere you want people to connect with you in particular, if they want to stay in touch. Well, I am uh, Colleen at mindbodygreen.com um, and Colleen Wachab on Instagram. And of course, Mind Body Green is uh, our, our resource. Awesome, Colleen. I know just how busy it is to be a full-time mom and working in the middle of all of this. And I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you for being here and for sharing. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your message uh, with so many people. And thanks to you, as always, for listening, for sharing your most valuable asset, your time with both of us. We're so grateful that you are here today. And I hope that you will join me again for the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.